Uh, I want to talk, uh, we're continuing this idea of what evangelism is, um, because it's kind of a, a broad question. If I said, what to you is evangelism, you would go, I don't know, it's when I invite somebody, is it when I share Jesus with somebody, what is evangelism? And so we've been trying to define what evangelism is, because on August the 20th, we're going to see what evangelism is. And so the first week we talked about that evangelism is just inviting people. Um, it's why these cards were made. It's so that you could have that, um, that moment to hand somebody something and invite them where it's not too intimidating for you. Last week we talked about evangelism is bringing people to Jesus. Uh, and we saw this wonderful story of four friends who had such love and compassion for someone in need that they brought him to Jesus. Even though it meant taking the roof off the top of a building to get him to Jesus, they wanted to do that. And so today we're going to look at um, a man named Zacchaeus, who if you grew up in, in church in any capacity, you're familiar with him. Uh, we know him because of his small stature. Um, but what we find in, in this story that we read about is that evangelism is just messy. Um, and so today I want to talk about how messy evangelism can be. Let's pray though. God, thank you this morning for your love, your grace, your mercy, that you care for us. As messy as our lives are, you dig right down into them and you give us things that we don't deserve. And this morning, God, as we take full advantage of your grace, we ask that you begin to speak into each and every one of our lives. God, as we are challenged every day to share more of you, help us understand that it's messy, but it's the mess that you've called us to. I let your anointing be so strong here today. God, flow freely and we'll give you glory. In Christ's name, amen. So if, if you want to go ahead and flip there, we'll be in Luke chapter 19 and we'll read the first 10 verses of it. Um, but to kind of set the stage for you, this is literally days before Jesus is about to die. And so that's how this story is unfolding, is that Jesus is actually on his way to Jerusalem to where he is fixing to hang on a cross. And, and along the way, he's done some incredible things. If we were to flip one chapter forward, we would find that Jesus has already met the need of a tax collector. He's helped someone who was demon-possessed. And literally right before he even crosses into Jericho, he meets someone at the gate who is blind and they're begging for help. And it's a story that we're pretty familiar with. Uh, we even talked about it uh, several months ago, that there's this man and he's begging, he's calling out for Jesus and everybody's telling him, hey, shut up, man. Jesus don't want to hear this. And Jesus goes and instantly restores his sight. And so Jesus in this moment is one of the most popular, beloved, hated people that's walking the face of the earth. Religious people despised him. They did not like anything that he stood for. But they were intrigued by him. And so they wanted to be present for it. And what you found is people who were broken, uh, what the people of that time would have called sinners. The sinners of that time were the ones that could not get to Jesus fast enough. And so all of that takes place leading up to this. And Jesus is about to go into a place called Jericho. When we know Jericho, we think about it of the walls tumbling down when Joshua led the children of Israel around it for seven days. And we know Jericho for that. But at this time, Jericho was just another place owned by Rome because everybody was owned by Rome. And so this Roman providence of Jericho uh, is the place where this story takes place. Jericho was the most beautiful place probably in all of the land at that time. They called it the Garden of Eden of Palestine. It was lush with all kinds of vegetation. 
they said that it was that the smell of it could be carried all the way to the ocean. As a matter of fact, the term Jericho means perfume. And they talked about how Jericho had this perfume smell. It was such an inviting place. And anywhere there's an inviting place, we find troubled people make camp there. And so Jesus is walking to a city filled with troubled people. And who is he about to encounter shows us how messy that can be. Let's start with verse number 1, chapter 19 in Luke. He entered Jericho and was passing through. He was passing through because he was headed to uh, the Passover, which would also be where he would uh, hang on a cross for our sins. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see Jesus who was, but on account of the crowd could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried, he came down and received him joyfully. And when, he, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he, is also, he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What a powerful, probably the most powerful statement we ever hear about Jesus is that 10th verse. For the Son of Man came, and Jesus says it about himself. The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. His whole mission was different than what people thought the Messiah was going to be. The reason that a lot of the crowds were following him is because they had anticipated a coming Messiah who was going to free them from the bondage of every place that tried to rule them. And they thought, this is the man that's going to free us from the Romans' grasp. And we're finally going to be able to function as our own sovereign place. God will be our leader is probably what they would say. And they just needed the Messiah to come and free them. And so some of the intrigue was to follow him because they wanted to be present when he came and he dethroned whoever the leader was of that time. And, and when he kicked the doors down and said, I'm here and I'm in control. But we find that the Messiah actually came for the different intent. His intent was to seek and save the lost. Now Jesus had a reputation of this time. They called him the friend of sinners and tax collectors. Now to us, we hear it and we go, man, that's awesome. That's what you want to be. But in that time, it would have been said with such distaste. That, but there's Jesus. Oh, he's just a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Right, it, was such a, it was a label that you didn't want to carry. Now, Jesus loved it, and he embraced it. And Jesus comes walking into town, and there's a man named Zacchaeus, who the Bible tells us is chief tax collector. Jesus encounters seven tax collectors throughout his ministry that we read about, and only two of them have names. One of them is Matthew, who Jesus appoints as one of his disciples, and the other is Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus, the reason we know his name is because of how popular of a man he was. Now he, this is the only gospel that this story is recorded in. And we find that Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector, he is chief of tax collectors. So in order to be a tax collector, you would have to go to Rome, and you would have to petition them to become a tax collector. And part of that meant that you had to essentially pay a franchise fee. 
You would say, I want to be the tax collector of this area right here, and this is what I guarantee you that I will pay you to do that. And they say, sure, if it's $100, as long as we get our $100, we don't care what else you keep on top of that. And that was kind of the role of a tax collector. And so a tax collector would buy his rights to become a tax collector, and he would come into town, and he would then begin to tax anything he could. Now, they had property taxes, they had people taxes like we do, but he may come in and decide, I want to tax anybody who comes into our area, every wheel they have on their cart, I'm going to tax it. And every person who even steps into the grass, I'm going to tax them. And, and so there began to be all these bogus taxes. And so we find that people just hated tax collectors because of this. And you understand it too, when you figure taxes out every year, you understand that the people who collect our taxes aren't our friends in that moment. And they felt the same way. This wasn't a friend of theirs. And so tax collectors were left to talk with people that were considered unclean. So Zacchaeus was the regional director of tax collectors. He was the man in charge of Jericho and all the surrounding areas. He was the chief of all those people. And so if you can think about how lonely of a life he probably lived, we know that is the case. The only people he probably interacted with was other tax collectors. And they probably got together and shared their disappointing stories. Man, can you believe uh, my wife's family won't even talk to me anymore because they know what I do as my profession. Oh man, you won't, my kids have disowned me now. And they would get together and they would just begin to tell stories about how horrible their lives were. But one day, Jesus came to town. And when Jesus came to town, Zacchaeus said, I, I want a different story. I want to see who this man is. I want to see if he really is a friend of tax collectors. I want to see if he really is a man who heals people. And we know that Zacchaeus was obviously a little man. We don't know if he was a dwarf or we don't know if he was just a short man. But we know that he at least couldn't see over the crowds of people. And so what was, what was the only solution for him was to climb up a tree because he had to see who Jesus was. And so he climbed up it. And what he didn't know is that day that Jesus had come to seek and save the lost. And his mission that day was a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus comes into the room with Jesus and they begin to break bread together. And Zacchaeus, whether Jesus has spoken this or he just felt compelled, is is immediately overcome with guilt for all the things he's ever done. He's cheated people out of their livelihood. He's cheated people out of their money. He's caused it where families can't grow. He's put a burden on husbands as they try to lead. He's caused the farming community to not be as, as uh, productive as it could be. He's influenced men to be cheaters just like him. All of this wave of emotion begins to overtake Zacchaeus. And he just looks at Jesus and said, I'm just going to give everything I have, half of everything I have, I'm just going to give it to the poor. You know what, if I've ever wronged anybody, I'm just going to pay them four times the amount that I wronged them. Now that's not a confession as we think of it as someone coming to an altar and go, Jesus, I, I, I want you to come into my life and save me. That's the confession we're used to. But this was the admittance of guilt and the realization that apart from Christ, he was just a horrible person. And so as he bears himself to Christ, Christ looks at him and says, salvation has come to you today. When I read this story, I get the feeling of how messy Zacchaeus' life really is. He's got so many things wrong. He's lonely. 
He's a cheater. If he's married, he's probably feeling like a failure to his family. He's rich, but he can't really enjoy his wealth because nobody wants to be around him. He's going through a lot of different things. And then on top of that, he's just realized how horrible of a person he really is in the presence of Christ. And we see just how messy his life really is. If you want to know what evangelism is, evangelism is messy. Evangelism is going to broken people and realizing that apart from Christ, there's no hope for their life. And it means that we have to roll our sleeves up and get a little dirty. It means that we have to spend an extra half an hour on the phone when we would rather be watching television, but they have to talk to us. Evangelism is messy. Evangelism means that sometimes we have to give up some activity in order to go be the counselor that we were never called to be because evangelism is messy. Sometimes it means that at work, instead of doing our job, we become the mediator for a marital issue that we didn't even care anything about initially because evangelism is messy. Evangelism means sometimes we have to emotionally invest in people that we don't really have the emotions to give, but because they're so addicted to drugs, they need us to emotionally invest in them or else they're going to break because evangelism is messy. Evangelism is such a messy thing that as churches, a lot of times we look at ourselves and go, it's just easier if we reach the people we know than it is to go outside of those who we don't know. Because when we venture outside of the things we don't know, we find that life gets a little messy, right? It's kind of like if you have a four-wheel drive truck and you know that it can do amazing things. And you go, I want to go in that mud puddle, but I'm not sure. That may be a little deceptive. So I'm just going to stay right here. Everybody will go, but you have a four-wheel drive truck. I just don't want to get messy, though. And that's how we can become in church a lot of times. Is we can go, oh, I see that person in a tree, and I know right now the thing that they really need is Jesus, but it's going to mean that I have to get invested in their life, and that's messy, and I really don't have time for mess in my life. Right? I have my own mess to keep up with. I can't keep up with somebody else's mess. But we find that in order to fulfill the call of Christ in our life, we have to realize that evangelism is messy. There's two things I want to point out about why evangelism is messy. And number one is that evangelism is messy because we begin to know people's names. When you know someone's name, you start digging into their life a little bit, you realize that it becomes very messy. How many times have you ever said, I don't want to know the person's name because I don't want to feel like I'm invested in their life? Right? On TV, when they show the children who are starving in another country, don't tell me their names because I don't want to feel like now I have a connection with them. But when we know the name of someone, we begin to have a connection with someone. And in that connection, we find a mess. Zacchaeus, the chief of tax collectors, was a messy man. Jesus would go to a woman sitting by a well... And he knew her. And though everybody would try to avoid Samaria, Jesus wanted to go right through the middle of it. Jews were not supposed to be there. Those were despicable people. Why would they go through there? And Jesus went right in the middle of it, right to the sitter of the town, right to the woman who had the worst reputation, and looked at her and instantly formed a connection. And you know what came with that connection? A mess. But connections and evangelism means that we get a little messy. 
It means that we get our hands dirty. It means that we share with them things that they don't want to hear, but we know they have to hear it. Because evangelism is messy. Evangelism is looking at the person who is standing on the side of the road asking for silver and gold and saying, I don't have silver and gold, but what I have can change your life. Come with me. It's going to be messy, but we're going to do it together. Evangelism is four friends looking at someone and saying, if we don't get him to Jesus, I don't know that he'll ever change. And so let's just grab him and take him. And if it means that we have to roll our sleeves up and dig inside of some mud to make a hole on top of a roof, then I'll do it because though it's messy, it's needed. And Jesus looked at the life of Zacchaeus and goes, it's going to be messy to form this relationship with you, but you know what? It's got to happen. I'm so, Amber and I watched the movie last night. Uh, is there ever a time where you don't watch a movie because you heard it was bad and you watch it like, man, I'm never listening to anybody again. Um, that's how we were. The movie The Shack, we heard negative things about it. I was like, well, I'm, I'm just not going to watch it because of all this. And we watched it last night and, man, Amber cried like crazy. And me too. But it was an, it's an incredible story. But as I was preparing this message and thinking on this message and I was watching it, there was something on there that was so impactful that ties into this. This guy has, in the movie has the encounter, and it's not going to ruin the movie, you should still watch it, but he has an encounter with wisdom, the person who is a representation of wisdom in the movie, and he's showing the, the abusive past he has, and it's asking whose responsibility is it for this, and, and he thinks that he's the judge, and he's mad at God at this time, and he thinks God has brought the evil into his life, and, and so finally wisdom says, well today you have to make a decision, you're the judge, you have to make a decision. And so both of his children appear and says, you have to pick one that's going to go to heaven. You have to pick one that's going to go to hell. And the dude's like, I just can't do it. I can't pick that. And so finally after this back and forth of him saying, I can't do it, he says, you know what, just take me. I'll go to hell in their place, but they shouldn't go. In that moment, the woman who is depicting wisdom says, and now you know what the heart of God is like. When we talk about what, how messy evangelism is, we see it in the heart of God. That God could have wiped his hands clean of us after the Garden of Eden and said, I'm, just, I'm not going to do this. Why well, create a people who's going to rebel against me? But God looked at us and said, you know what? I want them to be in community with me. I want them to be in relationship with me. I want them to be in eternity with me. So I'm going to take their place. And what we read about is the messy story of a man named Jesus. A man named Jesus who was fully God and fully man. Who made the decision to step out of glory and into our world as messy as it was going to be. He didn't deserve the things he went through. He didn't deserve the almost death that he had to escape. He didn't deserve to hang on a cross for us. He didn't deserve to go through the punishment and beatings that he went through. And as messy as it was, he looked at us and said, I love you. There's such a compassion for you that I'm just going to do it. And that's the messiness of evangelism. It's the compassion within our heart to look at someone and say, you don't deserve what you're going through. I've been there. I know what it's like to be alone. I know what it's like to have no friends. I know what it's like to question every decision you make I know how messy it is and so I'm going to enter into your mess to bring you into my glory because I want you to see how beautiful life can be 
Jesus walked into the life of Zacchaeus that day and said, I know how messy it is and people hate you and people despise you and they would love for me to strike you dead, but I'm going to grab you by the hand and bring you into my glory today because you need to see how beautiful life can be on the other side of mess. Our calling isn't to judge the lives of people. It isn't for me to look at somebody and go, they're a homosexual, that's not my responsibility. This person is so strung out on meth, they're not my responsibility. This, this guy beats his wife and children, that's not my responsibility. God didn't call us to be the judge of people's lives. He called us to jump into the middle of their mess and see what we can do to bring them back to glory. Evangelism is messy. And the heart of our church is our community. And you know what? It's going to get a little messy in here sometimes. There's going to be people who come in and they look a little different. They smell a little different. They talk a little different. And they act a little different. And we're going to look at them through the eyes of a compassionate God and go, I'm so glad they're here. It's messy. But I'm so glad they're here. I'm so thankful that somebody was willing to jump into my mess to bring me into God's glory. And now I feel compelled to jump into the mess of others to bring them into the glory of God because that connection. If I know your name is Tom, I'm connected with you. And so, Tom, I'm going to call your name out in prayer. And, Tom, I'm going to jump in the middle of your mess even if you don't want me to. And, Tom, I'm going to introduce you to a Savior who can free you from the destructive tendencies that you face. Because evangelism is messy. Not only was it messy because Jesus looked up a tree and knew Zacchaeus' name, which I'm sure probably caused him to almost fall out the tree. But Jesus knows me. And then Jesus does something even more incredible. He has a connection through his name. And then Jesus begins to know his story. Our stories are the things that define us. Our stories are the things that make us who we are. They build our character. But in many cases, it's the embarrassment that we bury deep down inside of us. I don't want people to know my story. I'll give them bits and pieces of it. I don't want them to know my story because it's messy. And I'm sure that Zacchaeus didn't really want Jesus to know everything. And I'm sure he looked in the eyes of a loving Savior and realized he knows everything about me. Forgive me, God, that you know everything about me. Our stories are the things that are messy in our lives. And it's the thing that's messy in someone else's lives that's called us to get dirty inside of it. And I don't stand up here today to tell you how perfect I am. Because to be honest with you, I struggle jumping into the mess of people's lives. There's days that it feels like my door is a revolving, just a revolving thing of people in and out, in and out, coming and telling their messy stories. And there's times that I go, God, I can't take their mess anymore. I got my own mess that I hadn't even processed. But I learned in those moments that evangelism is messy. They need me in their mess as much as I need somebody to come in my mess. I need someone to help me through it because I can't see clear in it. I need somebody to guide me to higher water, higher ground because I'm drowning in the sorrow and the struggles and the depression of my story. You want to know what your role is in evangelism? It's walking up to somebody and inviting them to Jesus. And saying, I've encountered him. He's such an amazing man. I want you to meet him too. He's not only inviting them, but it's grabbing them by the hand and saying, I'm going to bring you to Jesus. How about that? I want you to come see him face to face. And it's in that journey of bringing them to Jesus 
Evangelism becomes messy because we start to know their story and we know their name and we know why they're struggling. And we realize that evangelism is messy. Next week we're going to cap off what evangelism is because we're going to talk about the beauty of the conclusion of evangelism because evangelism is transformative. Evangelism is the only thing that will change a person's life. Evangelism is the only thing that causes somebody to do a 180 degrees return. But today my challenge to you is to jump into the mess of people's life. To be willing to listen to something when you don't feel like it. To make a drive to someone's house when you don't feel like it. To look at your schedule and go, I'm so busy, I don't have time to make that phone call, but making it anyhow. You never know when you're the one walking down a thing who sees the person in a tree and makes that impact by entering into their mess. Don't take for granted the impact you can have in people's lives. And don't take for granted how much someone needs you in that moment to jump into their mess with them. Let's pray, God. Thank you this morning for your love and your grace. God, I'm so thankful that you looked at our mess and you jumped right into it. That you didn't care. Our story was just an invitation for you to dive headfirst in. God, I'm so thankful that you looked into the tree of our struggles and said, Eric, come down from that tree. I want to eat with you. God, that you looked at each one of these people here and you said, come down from that tree. I want to have fellowship with you. Oh, I know you think you're the chief of all sinners. I know you think you're the worst that's ever walked this planet. But trust me, you're not. And God, you entered into our mess. And in return, God, you've asked us, to jump into the mess ourselves. And so today, God, I pray that you would give us strength. God, give us boldness. Give us courage as we encounter lost people every day. God, as we begin to invite them to you, as we begin to bring them to you, that you would help us see it's going to be messy, but that mess is what you've called us into. God, help us in those moments of judgment where we want to look at someone and condemn their life to hell That you didn't call us to be the judge. You've just called us to love. You didn't call us to be the decider of who comes to you. You just called us to be the inviter. And help us to be those things. And this morning, God, we commit August the 20th to you. As you've placed people in our hearts, you've moved us to invite people here. You've begun to stir the waters of evangelism, not only in our hearts, but in our church. You've called us to be messy, to dig outside of these walls, to go in places we've never went before, and to share with people we've never encountered before. And so help us to stay encouraged in that process. This morning, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm not going to do an altar call. I just want to challenge you for the next couple of minutes, while you're sitting, or if you feel more comfortable at the altar, that you would think of three people's lives that you know is messy. And whether you've avoided it intentionally or you have avoided it because you just hadn't had the time whatever it is I want you to pray for those three people over the next couple of minutes and in that prayer what you're doing is you're beginning to jump into the mess of their life no more excuses now compassion no more reasons why you can't now it's the reason that you came is because of Christ And at the end of those couple of minutes, I'll pray and we'll we'll close this thing out. But I want you to be intentional about those three people and the mess in their life.
this morning.